0: I want to read to you from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, saying this, Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Two things to note. There is great, great reward in knowing the Lord. Second thing to note is that he mentions kingdom of heaven twice, and we're going to talk about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven and so as we do this we continue to pass out remember Jesus talking about a new covenant in his blood that this represents just take a moment let us let's turn our hearts from the things that are going on around us and turn our hearts towards Jesus and his kingdom On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had broken it, he said, this is my body broken for you, take and eat. In similar fashion, he took the cup, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, take it and drink. As often as we do it, we remember the body and the blood of Jesus broken for us. Let's pray. We will continue in worship. God, you're so good. thank you for this symbol that points us to the cross. Thank you that you are a good father who sent the son and would not hold back his son but gave his son for us that we might have life. Today let us get a clear picture of what your kingdom is and God may we make much of Christ in Jesus name. Amen. Well, I am really pumped to be here this morning because uh, I got some form of terrible disease, okay, like Wednesday and Thursday, and I appreciate many of you praying for me because it felt like the end of my life, and thankfully it is not. And I could also, that's further proof that I'm a wuss, okay? So thank you for your prayers, and I'm excited to be here and get to share God's word with you this morning. Um, When Jesus was on the cross he hung between two thieves. And above, they mocked him with a sign uh, above the cross that said, the king of the Jews. Now, that was mockery, but just like the entire crucifixion, what these men intended for evil, God intended for good. Because through the death and resurrection of Jesus, those who are far from God can be brought near because Jesus paid the price for sin. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we have been looking in this series at that whole situation, what God has done, that he created everything good. We have sinned, fallen short, but God made a way for us to be reconciled and brought back to God, ultimately culminating in the cross of Christ. And we get to this point now where we're about to talk about the cross of Christ, and this message being spread out over the world. But before we do that, we need to talk about something that if we don't talk about this part of the story of the Bible, we're going to miss a whole lot, and it's the kingdom of God. Because when Jesus, this is an example of it, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, the, everybody was mocking him, including the two thieves. But as Jesus hung and suffering by the way he suffered, one of the thieves saw Jesus and called out to him. And he said... Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what does Jesus say? Today, son, you'll be with me in paradise. He forgives the man on the cross. But what does he say? Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Kingdom is a big deal In the scriptures, especially in the gospels, it appears a hundred times in the gospel in about 60 plus different situations because there's a lot of the gospels have some of the same material in them, okay? That's why they call Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They call them the synoptic gospels, okay? Not because it was a synopsis. I used to think that, okay? It's because, has anybody else ever thought that before? That's not what it means. It means similar. And so they all have similar information, and they talk about it several times. And so Jesus is talking about the kingdom a lot. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount that starts out uh, in Matthew chapter 5, famous stuff. You get the Lord's Prayer in that one, okay? In in the Sermon on the Mount, with his Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus talks about kingdom a lot. In fact, most people believe that the Sermon on the Mount talks about what it means to be live in the kingdom it's the ethics of the kingdom and so we're going to talk about the kingdom of god have i said kingdom enough because that's what we're going to talk about now we're going to do this in a very unorthodox way this morning okay i don't usually like to do it this way but we're going to do something a little bit different in terms of a message i'm going to go ahead and outline it for you what we're going to do so you won't be like what are we doing you'll know okay does that make sense? Outline form. And then at the end, we're going to apply it. Does that make sense? I want to tell you what I'm doing. And so what we're going to do is survey. Instead of me reading to you every, one, or every like 60 to 100 occurrences of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven in the Gospels, I'm going to summarize it. Is that all right? And survey it. Is that okay? Because if not, we might be here a long time, and the children's workers will hate us. Okay? <laughs> They're all, it's almost Lord of the Flies down there anyway, probably. Like, I will rule, okay? No, we have good children's workers. That sounded awful. Somebody's like, oh, it's my first time here. I'm leaving to get my child. Please don't. That was a joke. We do that here. So I want you to think about this. The kingdom of God, what does that mean? Well, hopefully we're going to survey and we're going to look in each gospel, just a little piece of scripture in each gospel to help us understand the kingdom. And then we're going to understand what that, the implications of that for our lives. that makes sense? So this is going to be, we're going to be jumping around. So we'll have some scripture on the screen. If you've got your Bible ready, man, you're going to flip through it. Those of you who were in church when you were a little kid, this is your Bible drill paying off today, okay, if you did that. So we got Matthew. Know this, that the kingdom of God is an invisible reality that is prominent in our world, but we often fail to recognize it. Let me say that again, okay, because that's a lot of words. The kingdom of God is an invisible reality that is prominent in our world, but we often fail to recognize it. This is not an unusual occurrence that something is prominent and all over the place we fail to recognize it. We give you a scientific example, the atom. As far as I understand things, we, everything is comprised of atoms. Am I right, Kevin? Okay, I want to make sure. Kevin knows science. <laughs> Good. And that's true. And do you see your atoms? A T O M, okay, not A D A M, okay? Atoms. Everything's comprised of atoms, and atoms are comprised of things, and, and it's, it's quite complicated. And they, we've, known, we've only known this and understood this for a short period of time on the grand scheme of human history, but that doesn't mean things haven't existed without atoms. Right? So atoms you would say are prominent. So if everything's made, this is made of atoms, and this is made of atoms, and my shoes are made of atoms, and there's atoms everywhere. They're prominent in our society, okay? Atoms are, but they're not talked about a lot or are visible. Am I right? You following me? So just because something is not seen to the naked eye does not mean it does not exist, correct? And so we get to this point that I want you to realize that the kingdom of God is an invisible reality in some sense, that we don't see the kingdom. We don't see who's part of the kingdom with our naked eye. However, it's a reality that's prominent in our world, but we fail to recognize it. And this is very important because our world seems to be a mess. From the presidential elections to what's going on in, in Syria, what's going on throughout the entire world with global terrorism, with great economic recessions, with pain and hunger and disease, it seems like this world is insane and there is no force really working amongst it, but God is in control bringing about a kingdom. So then we have to ask the second question. If we know it's a prominent thing and though it's invisible, what is the kingdom of God? Because we could all leave here today going, Well, we talked about the kingdom of God today at church, and we talked about the kingdom of God. And then your server asks you at, at lunch, What'd you guys talk about at church if that ever happens? And so you, they, and they say, Hey, what's, what'd you guys talk about at church? We say, The kingdom of God. Oh, yeah, what is that? I don't know, but that guy talked about it a lot. <laughs> Have we ever been there? The kingdom, well, let me give you just a brief definition is this, it's the rule and reign of God in Christ throughout the created order. And Jesus said something interesting about this in Matthew 13:31 to 33. He said this. Let me put another parable for them saying, Jesus spoke a lot about in the kingdom about parables. And so he says this, "The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in a field. A mustard seed is super tiny." If I held it up here right now, you could not see it. And so think about this. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and he sowed in the field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches." So, the idea is that the kingdom comes in a small way and it gets planted, and all of a sudden, before you know it, this big, huge tree like thing is there and it takes over the whole garden. You ever seen that with a sunflower before? Sunflower seed, very tiny. All, before you know it, you could have one of the, it looks like, you know, like Willy Wonka's Fun House in the back of your house before you know it, because that thing, the stalk's this big, and it's, it's huge. You ever seen a sunflower? You're looking at me like, I've never seen what you're talking about. The sunflower out there, and that is kind of the idea of this mustard seed. The kingdom of God starts small, but then it's huge, and it's overtaking the whole garden, and that's what the kingdom is like. That's what God's rule and reign is like. It started in a small place, in a small town with Jesus coming. And it's ending with this universal kingdom. And so we see this also in verse 33 of Matthew 13, 33, it says this. And he told them another parable about the kingdom. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. You know, that's talking about yeast, what makes bread rise. My mom and I went to O'Charlie's the other day after the plague had left me, and I needed to go find something to eat because it had been days, and I was fearful of food, and I thought, what is better than one of those yeast rolls from O'Charlie's? It's like benign yet delicious, okay? Okay. That's not a great way to describe food, is it benign yet delicious? But that, nonetheless, I thought, oh, yeah, that would be perfect. So we came, the first round came, and I ate one, and everything was okay, all right? Thank God. <laughs> it's like, hallelujah. I mean, food stayed down. And then we asked the guy for more rolls, and it's like lunch rush, and you would think, okay, they'll come around. Well, it seemed like hours later we were still sitting there, and he comes back and says, hey, listen. Um, our rolls are about this thick right now. Something went wrong with the leaven in them, and would not rise. And so you think about this. So just a little bit of yeast. You're not pouring a lot of yeast if you've ever done baking before. And I haven't done that much. Okay, I've seen it on TV. And so you put the little bit of yeast on there, and it what it does is it expands. It causes there's lots of scientific things that go in, involved. This we won't get into that now because you don't care, and I don't want to talk about it, and I probably don't know. And so <laughs> it expands. It permeates that whole dough. Just a little yeast does that, and that is the whole idea of the kingdom of God. It is here in our midst. It is growing. It is advancing. The rule and reign of God and Christ is all throughout our world. It's prominent, but well, we might be blinded to seeing it. And today, hopefully, I want you, I want us to see this, that if you're going to understand Jesus' ministry and what he came, you have to understand the kingdom of God and what it is. And first, it's it may not be visible, but it is prominent. The second thing I want you to see about God's rule and reign in Christ and the kingdom of God is this. We're going to turn over to Luke 1, uh, verse 30 in a second, and this is it. Jesus' incarnation, which means him coming to the earth as the God-man, was the inauguration or the beginning of the kingdom and he proclaimed it through his ministry, okay? So Jesus brought, he inaugurated, he brought with him the kingdom of God and he told everybody that he brought with him the kingdom of God, okay? Even John the Baptist who went before Jesus said, there's one coming, Behold, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. But we got Luke chapter 1, which is usually that birth narrative, okay, we're about, about Jesus coming on the scene. Here's what the story, this is before Jesus is even conceived, and Gabriel comes and tells Mary, you're going to be with the child, and you're not going to know a man. And, and just as usual, the angel says in verse 30 of Luke chapter 1, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, because we all would be. That's just, that's whenever people see angels, people are afraid. Represents the presence of God. Just think about that. So the angel says to her, Mary, or do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give, give to him the throne of his father David. So you got a throne here. Kings need a throne, place f- from which to rule. Then look in verse 33. And Jesus, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So before Jesus was even conceived physically as the God-man, it was said that he is bringing with him a kingdom and a reign that will never end. So when Jesus came, he was bringing in the rule and reign of Jesus. John the Baptist proclaimed it. And I want you to know something, just so we can see it started small. Bethlehem, which means house of bread, is the place where David was from, is in the backside of nowhere. Still to this day, it is a small place one camel town. I don't know i <laughs> to say one horse, but <laughs> they may have horses, donkey, I don't know. It's a very small place. It's almost... A forgotten place. And so, and not only that, what would you expect a king? We've talked about this around, we talk about this at Christmas time. Where would you expect a king to be born? Okay, with great fanfare amongst all the kings of the nation in some nice hospital with, with people attending and being laid in a, you know, a, a gold bassinet, if that even exists. That doesn't seem very sturdy. I would want steel or something instead of gold. But That was what you would think would happen with a king. But no, he's born in a hole in the ground in some little forgotten town with a bunch of rednecks out there going, hey, let's go see what happened, okay? And they run out there. And that's just further proof that Jesus loves rednecks. It's awesome. And then he lived in a fishing village after that, okay? If this is not a message for this area, what is, right? Come on. Jesus... Is, is come in this small way, not as people would think, and also born into scandal, even though we know it was the Most High who overshadowed Mary. It was God. But He was born into this scandalous situation. And so from these small beginnings, this kingdom comes. It's displayed throughout now we get into the second part. We go Luke 4, 48. See, here's what happens. Jesus' ministry is a display of the kingdom coming. Okay? So think about, when you think about Jesus' miracles, he's showing who he is and that the kingdom is here. So don't think of his miracles like Jesus trying to gain a crowd by doing magic tricks. Okay? I have a friend of mine who's a Christian uh, magician And I know that sounds, but he's a really good one. You've probably heard, you know, you've probably maybe seen some bad ones, and you may be thinking some guy that's going to come up, you know, got the top hat and like, oh, okay. Uh, He doesn't do that. He's a really good Christian magician, and he would constantly, he's really good at sleight of hand. He would constantly take our wallets not in like the thieving sense, but he would take our wallets and stuff and he would make stuff disappear. And it was really neat and he would he would use that to, to share the gospel. But don't think of Jesus as a magician when he's doing all these things, okay? Don't think of him as just some miracle worker because every one of it the signs and, and things that he did were meant to show who he is, that he's the son of God, and they were meant to show that the kingdom is here. And so Jesus is casting out demons. He healed Peter's mother-in-law, okay? And for those people out there who don't think Peter was married, how do you have a mother-in-law without a wife? It doesn't happen, okay? All right, free, okay? Didn't cost you anything. We won't charge on the way out for that. And so we get down, and this is Luke 4. He just heals Peter's mother-in-law. He's been casting out demons. And Luke 4 42, it says this, and then it was day, and he departed and went into a desolate place, because Jesus had got a big crowd. And the people sought him, and they came to him, and would, would have kept him from leaving them. And he said to them, I must preach the good news, or the gospel, of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. We always say this, and this is true, that Jesus came to die, but Jesus also came to preach the kingdom. And if you also look, Jesus was first and foremost a preacher and teacher as the Son of God. So he came in preaching and talking about the rule and reign of God. And I'm making the case right now that this is a prominent part of Jesus's ministry. You follow me? Does that make sense? that's what we're doing right here. We're building a case. We're surveying. I just want you to see it because, listen, if I can't, if somebody's teaching you and showing you in the Bible uh, or or trying to tell you something and they're not grounding what they say in God's Word, it's probably a lie, okay? So that's why we're building this case. I want you to see that, that all of this, the kingdom of God is at the the core of Jesus' ministry and that it's important for us to understand going forward. The second thing is this. The coming of the kingdom of God involves the destruction of evil and the salvation of the repentant. The coming of the kingdom of God involves the destruction of evil and the salvation of the repentant. Now here's the thing, Jesus, the scribes and the Pharisees in Jesus's ministry hated Jesus. He did not do things the way they thought ought to be done. And so because of that, they had so much jealousy and hatred would exist. And in a lot of ways, it ruined their whole structure of how they understood God. It was a very difficult thing for these Pharisees and scribes to hear Jesus teaching. And so they disliked him, and they actually accused him of being in league with the devil. And this is what happens in Mark 3, 24. Look, we've looked in Matthew. We've looked in Luke. Now we're looking in Mark. I want to show you. It's in all the Gospels. Mark 3, 24, or Mark 3, says this, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul. That's another way of saying Satan, okay? That make sense? That's a fun, fun thing to say, too, Beelzebul. All right? That's just a fun word. Not a good thing fun word. And by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. He's saying Jesus is casting out demons because he is is working with the devil. Okay? And Jesus is going to point out the flaw in their logic right now. Verse 23, and he called them to him, and he said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. So here is Jesus's logic. If I'm working for Satan, and Satan's minions are the demons and the they're working for him, trying to accomplish his purpose of bringing evil and, and making people hate God and follow after sin. If I'm casting those demons out that work for Satan, aren't I doing work that's against the very organization you're saying I'm with? That makes no sense at all because that would be counterproductive. It would be like a government job, Okay? <laughs> Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. That's free. It, it's like we It's like let's. It's like hiring a demolition company and a construction company to work on the same project, like simultaneously. Like, all right, we're gonna build this kitchen over here, and then you guys are gonna knock it right down. All right. Are <laughs> right, we gonna start the roofing? You guys start unroofing what we roof. Simultaneously, Do you see how dumb that is? And Jesus pointed out, why would I be working for Satan if I'm casting out demons? If I was really working for Satan, I'd be putting more demons in people or hurting them. And so he says, this is silly. And he talks about a kingdom. And so there's obviously, there's a dominion here. Colossians would talk about the dominion of darkness. There's a dominion, a, a realm in which the evil one is over and so there is also this other kingdom that Jesus has come to assault, and that's the kingdom of Satan. And so here he says in verse 20, 27, it says, But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Jesus has come in his kingdom to bind up the strong man who is the devil and kick his tail. He is a defeated foe. And so that the kingdom is coming. Jesus is defeating evil. Now, it's this, you'll notice this. He's, it's, these are promises are now and for the future as well. We're going to see that again. So you got me? Jesus is coming. He's coming to bind up the strong man. Salvation is at its end. And so verse the, the third thing I want you to see about the kingdom is this: the citizens of the kingdom are those who are born again. We've looked at what gospels? Matthew, Luke, Mark, now I was looking at John. A, a, a teacher, a Pharisee came to him by the name of Nicodemus, and this is John chapter 3, verse 1. So it says this, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, hey, rabbi, we know that you're a teacher that's come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. And then Jesus, in true Jesus fashion, turns the conversation on its ear by telling him something very provocative. Verse three says this, Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God and Nicodemus is confused. We see this in verse 4. In one of the most uncomfortable statements in the Bible, I believe, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Shiver, gross shake. That's not against my mom. That's just in general. Love you, mother. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, another way of talking about being born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So we got these, we're going to explain this in a second, but I want you to see this. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is, is, came and started at Jesus' birth. It's a reality that's here, this rule and reign of God. It came when Jesus came. Not only that, he's preached it throughout his ministry and taught about it throughout his ministry. And so our survey here, just so you know this, is just scratching the surface of the greatness of God's rule and reign. It's all throughout the Gospels. So hopefully this will make you go home and look up the kingdom of God and read it all throughout the gospels. And then not only that, I want you to see this, that Jesus, when he comes, the coming of the kingdom is the destruction of evil, destruction of death, destruction of pain. There is a going forward of the goodness of the gospel that is crushing evil, okay? This kingdom is advancing, and in its wake, it's leaving peace and not destruction. And so we see also this, that if you are to be, and this is very clear teaching from this passage, Jesus says, if you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, you must be born again. How do, what do we understand that as? We are all dead in sin spiritually, and we will suffer those consequences of death physically of of sin is death, and we will suffer that physically, but what has happened is through Christ and His finished work and through His Spirit, by faith, we can be made new. We can go from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. And so to be a part of the kingdom, to be a citizen of the kingdom, is to be born again and made new. So this kingdom that's advancing, that's destructing, destructing evil, there's only one way to be a part of this kingdom. It's to be born again by faith, or through faith in Jesus Christ. Fourthly, we got through the survey part. You still with me? I wanted to build the case. Fourthly, the kingdom is here, well, not just in Hartsville, but it's, it's present here been present since Jesus came. The kingdom is here. The rule and reign of God in Christ throughout the whole cosmos, throughout the whole universe, throughout the whole created order is here. It's present. It's advancing, and it's coming. We're going to talk about that just again, but I want you to hear it. The kingdom is here, present. It's advancing, and it is coming. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. We'll start there and read this section together. Now, When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? He says, he's getting kind of an opinion poll here, is who do people say that I am? Are they picking up on the fact that I'm the Son of God? In verse 14, it says this, and they said, some say that you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So they're kind of missing who Jesus is. They're obviously, they're recognizing him as some kind of holy man, maybe a prophet, but they're failing to recognize him as he is, except for this. Jesus asked this question. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Now this is a, a conversation with his disciples, those who have been following him the closest. In verse 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, that's not Jesus' last name, that's a title, it means Messiah, the chosen one of God, the one who's come, the Lamb of God, the one who is the God-man who lived a perfect sinless life, who is anointed by God to pay the penalty for sins. That's what Christ means, Messiah, and he says, Peter recognizes this, he says, you're the Christ the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered to him, Blessed are you, Simon of Barjona. And this is one of the great things that you need to understand this. If we believe, it's not because of our own doing. It's because of the work of God. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. He has seen the works of Jesus. Now, by the grace of God, it has been revealed that he sees clearly who Jesus is, that he's the Messiah. Now, pick up in verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. First off, we need to talk about this just for a second, okay? And we're not going to get too bogged down in this. There's been some controversy about this uh, This verse uh, <laughs> for centuries, and so we'll just talk about this for a second. Peter, his name here, Petros in Greek is similar to rock, Petra. If you've ever heard the Christian old Christian band, their name Petra. Petra means rock. Okay, and so there's a play on words going on here. And so here's this idea, and some people take this to mean that Peter is the head of the the, the church, the the visible church. There's no precedent for that except for. Historical precedent. Biblically, there's no idea, there's, there's no real reality of Peter being the first among the apostles in the sense of that he should be the pope or anything like that. Uh, that, that is, there's no precedent for that. And so here's the idea when he's saying Peter, it's okay if, it, if he actually means Peter is the rock here because it would make sense on playing on words. But it's not Peter in and of himself that's the rock, it's what he believes. Because what does Peter believe and have the guts to say? that Jesus is the Son of God. And so if that is the way to interpret that, which I think it's, it's, probably, it's the most likely that Peter is the rock here, we don't have to take it into some stratospheric place where Peter is the head all the time and everybody following in his footsteps as the head of the church. There's no, no precedent for that. But I want to make this very clear that what's going on here, it's more about Peter's confession than Peter's person. Make sense? Peter has recognized something true that Jesus is the Son of God. and He says on you and all, on all the apostles in this church, this I'm going to build my church upon on this confession of who I am that, I, that, that you've just made, Peter, that I'm the Son of God. So notice this, and he says in verse 18 again, I tell you, you're Peter, and on this rock, this confession, this thing that you said, Peter, I will build my church. Now, that word is a loaded word, because we are sitting in a building that most of us call church. Now, this used to be an old movie theater. If you don't believe me, we still have, like, uh, we cut down the screen. And there's also, there's a bunch of, like, writing over here about from 1976. Our sheriff even has his name carved in here. They used to own the building. And uh, so this was a movie theater. And there's, like, 18 layers of ceiling going up here. And that area down there used to be a hotel, and so... We call this church though, right? But it's just a building. The word church in the New Testament is ecclesia, which means called out ones. Those who were in sin and death and have been called out of that to be sons and daughters of God, to be reconciled, to be born again. And so it's not about buildings. He is call, he's saying, listen, Peter, you and your confession. I'm going to build my church upon them. I called out ones. I'm going to place them on this firm foundation of Jesus as the Son of God and the foundation of the apostles. And so I'm going to build my church on this, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, here's what I used to think, and a lot of us do think that. A lot of time we think the gates of hell are the ones doing the advancing. Well, you know what gates were in New Testament times? They were for defense. And when have you ever heard of a gate attacking somebody? <laughs> the gates of hell. They don't, gates don't have victories. Gates are there to protect the city. And so the idea used to be, this is what I used to, I really thought this, like the church has got all these, we've got the gates around us. We're the city set up on a hill that Jesus mentioned in the Sermon on the Mount. And we've got these big gates on us, and hell is raging against us. And the image is opposite. On this confession of Peter about the kingdom coming and about me being the son of God, We are advancing, and the gates of hell will not prevail against Jesus' church. Just think about that for a second. It changes us from being like, let's hold together and make sure we can keep the walls secure as hell is attacking us. It changes from like, let's go get them. That's a different image, right? Just keep that in your mind. We're going to hit that in just a second. But here's where we're going to get the kingdom talk in verse 19. And he says this, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Do not get caught up on this idea of Peter as the rock. Think about the confession of Jesus as the Son of God, and it's all based on that. He's going to call people out, not based on Peter, but based on what? Based on Jesus being the Christ. So he's going to call people out, the church. He's going to call them out. He's going to set them on a war against the gates of hell. And then he says, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. And so here is the good news about this. He's talking about the good news. And he's given us the keys to the kingdom. And how do we unlock the doors with the keys in the kingdom? We tell the good news about Jesus, the gospel, and it opens the door to salvation for those who hear and believe. Do you follow me? And so there's the idea here of, of the church being founded on what Jesus has done, warring against the gates of hell, and the people of God have the keys of the kingdom that can let other people in through the gospel. And so note this. The kingdom started when Jesus was here, so it's here now because we live 2,000 years after Jesus has come, and it's advancing because what? He says the gates of hell, which are a static thing, it's it's the gate and we're attacking it it's not coming at us the gates of hell will not prevail against the church as we go do our mission of unlocking the doors for people to come in and believe the good news of Jesus and it's coming because there's not there is a day when we see in philippians that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess whether they have believed or not that Jesus Christ is the son of god and then some will be put to will, will go into the kingdom and some will go be put out of the kingdom in eternal darkness in hell and so there is a day coming where the death and the pain and the evil will be crushed and the kingdom will be fully there. But it's not now, is it? Is there still death and pain and and messed up stuff happening all around us? Yes, but there is also the invisible reality that the kingdom is here. Now, I hope I've made the case this morning that the kingdom of God is a big, prominent part of Jesus' ministry. That it's here now it's advancing, and it's coming, and it's the destruction of evil. Those who are called out, those who have been born again, are part of the kingdom. They've been given keys to the kingdom, and they have also been given battle instructions to go and attack the gates of hell. We got that? You think we established that? So now we get to this place where we ask the question, so what? What does that mean? If we left it right there, we could go out and we'd be like, we know facts. Facts are good. They are good, especially by the Scriptures, but if those don't, don't, they, those don't work itself out, the faith does not become feet, we're in trouble. Now, I have something in my bag down here. Two things I'd like to show you today I brought from my house. It's show and tell time. This is a Captain America nightlight. This is from my son's room. I need to put it back because he needs this very much. Because when he wakes up at night, he gets scared unless there is a little light on. Anybody ever did that when you were a kid? Like that? All right, I had a hand in the back. All right, I see that hand. So we got, <laughs> we, we have this, this little light, and it's amazing. This is a little tiny, I think we paid a dollar for this, and it's got, you know, his room's all superheroes. It's this one little light bulb that can give him peace and confidence to get up at night and know how to move and not, not to really freak out, and to be able to, oh, I woke up, it's okay, calm himself down. It's amazing that a dollar Captain America nightlight, what it can do. I want to tell you something, that the kingdom of God is a nightlight for us. Now, not in the sense that that we are three and in need of, of something just to soothe us. no. It is light bursting forth in darkness that reminds us not to fear. If you see all the times in the Bible where it says, fear not, again and again and again and again. And remember, Mary, when she is told by the angel Gabriel what's about to happen, that the kingdom's coming, what, what was said, fear not. The kingdom of God should free us from fear. Well, maybe not free us that it won't in the sense that we won't fear anything, but we don't have to be dominated by fear. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about free of fear because none of us are free from fear. It's going to be ever-present ever there, so what? What, do we, what? what can we do with this knowledge of the kingdom of God? We can go to war and fight fear knowing that the kingdom is our nightlight, that it, it, there is light bursting forth in the darkness. I want you to know this. Instead of being upset and scared and worried about foreign domestic peoples being coming into our borders, and there are legitimate concerns, I understand all of that, but I want you to think about it. We don't live for this kingdom anymore. Not ultimately. Now we should always be good. The Bible talks about very very clearly about being good citizens of the kingdom of God. But I want to make this very clear. Our first allegiance, if you are a believer, you are called out not to be an American, but you are called out to be a citizen and a child of the kingdom of God, and that has to be your first allegiance. Has to be. And then you can start thinking of things differently. I had some, we were I was slated to go to Guinea West Africa a couple of summers ago when the Ebola virus broke out. That's kind of a big deal. And so we actually had to cancel our trip. And you know the reason we canceled our trip? Ebola. And we were still gonna go for a while while the Ebola was still there. Okay? This is all true. Amy's not, yeah, you're here. That was all true. That was that was the that was the strangest mission trip discussions I've ever had with people. Like, should we go because of Ebola? And so, and there were people that were already over there in those countries that got Ebola, and people pitched a fit when they brought them back to this country, okay? Not not like we're talking about Americans who were over there and they brought them back to this country. And I want I wonder, and that's been an issue, like, whoa, how can we bring them back folks those people who were over there getting ebola were people spreading the kingdom of god almost every one of them that doctor who came back was a missionary and maybe we do need to be concerned about infectious diseases i believe that i'm all for the cdc in atlanta but maybe we should think about a different kingdom instead of our own sometimes just think about that. And instead of being worried about the Syrian refugee crisis in the sense of that they're going to come over here and, and, and wreak havoc, and there is legitimate concern about security, don't get me wrong, okay? Don't leave here as I'm trying to make policy for you, okay? I don't care about that. Not first and foremost. What I really want you to see is this what if God is bringing Muslims here to hear the gospel? Yes, it's dangerous, and yes, we should have people who and ask people to make intelligent decisions, but maybe we should take the hate out of our heart and put the kingdom there. And again, I'm not saying let's just let anybody, you know, this is, this is dangerous ground, I know, because we're, we're trifling people's political belief. I want you to know something. We have to live for the kingdom of God and not America. It's not the same thing. Reagan was wrong when he said that we are the city on the hill. No, the church is. Always has been. Governments come and go historically. The kingdom has outlasted government upon government upon government. It's outlasted persecution, it's outlasted all these things. The kingdom is what matters. And so here's the good news the kingdom is advancing. The gates of hell are not overcoming, and so you can have confidence. You can have this nightlight in this dark world, this light shining through that gives you confidence and hope, which is the kingdom, because what is going on in this world neither takes God by surprise, is out of his control, and is, that's not happening, and it's all a part of the of his plan advancing, of his kingdom going forward. And so instead of necessarily looking at how bad everything is, which we tend to do, and we tend to talk about, especially in church, man, everything's going to hell. Man, it's, everything's going to hell. Instead of looking at it that way, maybe we can see the opportunity for the kingdom to advance first and think about political considerations second. If you are more ready to pledge allegiance to the flag than you are to the Savior, there is a problem. There is peace, friends, that comes in the fact that the kingdom is advancing and it will never end. This country might. I would hate that. That would make me very afraid. But I'll tell you one thing. His kingdom will never end. It's a nightlight. It's true hope in the midst of the darkness. Second thing I have to bring from my house to show and tell is a water pistol. This is an awesome one. You can tell how realistic it is. Purple and orange. So not only does the kingdom fight fear and bewilderment. I know it's hard for you to take me seriously at this point. This is on purpose. But I invite you to join, to get out your water guns, and join the assault on the gates of hell. Okay? Now, that seems funny, but most of us, don't we feel like, a lot of us feel like this. We feel like that first scenario I said, when Jesus talks about the kingdom advancing, we have the keys to unlock and open the doors for people to come in. We feel like we are we have these gates around us and hell is raging against us but the image is different that the kingdom the called out ones of God are sent on the mission of the kingdom of God which is advancing and the gates of hell can't stop the advance of God's army his people we don't come with guns like real guns or bombs or it's like some other religions think that they should no, we come with sacrifice and good news and love. And then we would think like that would stand no chance against that. We got it's like going into a war carrying a bunch of water pistols. But water pistols, when they're empowered by God, can take stuff down. And so the invite here is to fight fear. With knowledge, the kingdom is advancing. And when you look at world events, you think about the kingdom first, and you think about politics second, and you think about this. You it Also, the other call is to this. Join the assault. Get your water gun out and come and assault the gates of hell because a little thing in the hands of God can do great things. And so I want you to think about what is it? What are you talking about assault the gates of hell? Am I supposed to, like, run into my office and yell, You're going down! You need Jesus. Tomorrow you do that you're going to get fired and that's not the way to do it. Okay? I'm not encouraging you to do that. But I want you to see some way the gates of hell are being assaulted right now. And and honestly, some of y'all need to lay off the news, folks, cuz it's making you angry just turn, just, I don't care if you like MSNBC, Fox, CNN, delete the app for a while. It's still going to happen, okay, for a little bit. Take a break. Don't get so angry and think about things that matter, okay? So do that. Delete your app is one of the first ways you can assault the gates of hell because then you won't be so angry about politics and all the craziness that's going on, okay? Just, (gasps) all right, you got that. Secondly, I'm not telling you not to be, I know this is coming, I'm not telling you not to be informed, I'm just telling you take a chill pill, okay, take a break, okay? Second thing, I want you to notice, too, that there are good things that happen that don't get reported on because they don't make as much ratings. I want you to know something that the Tim Tebow Foundation, I'm not mentioning that because I'm a Florida homer, okay, but he's just the brother in Christ, okay? Tim Tebow Foundation held this thing across so many communities called the night to shine last Wednesday night. And uh, some good friends, was it last Wednesday night? Maybe it was Friday night. It was recently. It was this week. And so what this is, uh, they, they held proms for special need, terminally ill, and severely ill children across and, and adults across this country. One happened um, in, uh, in Mount Juliet uh, with a church uh, over there, I think Friendship, community church, I think, did that one, and it was a huge success, and some good friends of mine uh, in uh, Smar, Georgia, uh, at New Providence Baptist Church put one, and I have a picture of this that's going on, okay? There's some special need kids, and here's what they did. These are some Boy Scouts, uh, shining shoes of these kids. They dressed them up. They had a big party for them. They introduced them as like, coming in now is Mr. Whatever. And they got to come out. People yelled and, and cheered for them, and they all got crowns. And they come out, and these kids that are, pro- more, more times than not, have a more tough existence than a lot of other kids, get to have this time in the limelight all done in Jesus' name. And the gospel got presented to them. And the parents got to see their kids smiling and happy. And I want you to know something. This is an assault against the gates of hell. This is a beautiful picture of the gospel. Of people who are broken physically. Getting to know the love of God. And to know that they can be a child of God. It is amazing. That didn't make the news very much. Because a bunch of politicians yelling at each other is more is more fun. The kingdom's advancing, folks. The nation may not be, but the kingdom is. Secondly, I would like to show you this. Um, this is the next next thing I had that. I'm gonna have uh Rhonda read this for I'm kidding, Rhonda. <laughs> <laughs> you just I don't know, I, I caught you in my eyesight. So, sorry, Rhonda. <laughs> this is This is the Gospel of Luke translated into the Kurdish language. The Middle East um, has been divided by, was divided in a lot of ways, border wise, by, um, right after World War II, in a lot of ways, um, this this way this happened. uh, and, And they did not, the, the Western countries really divided and set the boundaries on a lot of these countries. And because of that, some people groups were divided into different areas. And because of that, they've become minorities and they've been picked on as minorities. There's one Muslim group called the Kurdish group of people. We have some friends who are Kurdish who have been there uh, in Iran, Iraq, and some other places. And they are constantly being picked on just as much as the Christians by ISIS and ISIL. And this group of this small group you know, a uh, group of people, the Kurdish Muslims, have, have not had the go- any Gospels translated into their language until this week. And our, my, the president of the seminary I went to, Dr. Mueller, posted this picture. He got a, a first copy of the Gospel of Luke in the Kurdish language that has ever existed. The Gospel is not dead. The gates of hell are not winning. It's going forward. I want you to see that. We're going to join the fight. Now, maybe you, can't, maybe you can't read that. I can't either. And maybe you're not ready to, maybe you're not going to be a Bible translator, and that's okay. And maybe you're not ready to work with special needs kids, and that's okay. But you know what you can do? You can exercise sacrificial love to your neighbors. You can forgive your spouse. Going through a tough time, and you just decide, I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust God and His plan, and we're not gonna, we're not gonna just break this thing off, guys. Our divorce rate in this county is atrocious. It's ninety percent. We last year, this is statistics proven. I mean, like I show you the 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 fact check. Okay, this is not some preacher story. Okay, preacher statistic. We put out in Trowsdale County, we put out more divorce certificates than marriage certificates. God's design was for man and woman to be in mar- to be married and for that relationship to show the kingdom, of to show the love of God and the love of Christ. Now, that's not for you. If you're divorced here, we love you. And God God can take brokenness and make it beautiful through his kingdom. So don't get that. But I want you to know something. Wherever you are, if you're married now, do not give up. It's about more than just you and your happiness. It's about showing who Jesus is and his love for the church. The Bible talks about that. Don't give up forgive in the house. Don't let forgiveness reign. This is the way the kingdom can come. Also, share the gospel. Share your story. Invite your friends. The kingdom is advancing. Join the fight. I can't do much. Water guns, folks. We're not asking for cannons. He ain't either. Just take your water gun and let's go assault. The gates of hell. With the, the amazing, all-consuming, beautiful love of Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, you told us to pray, gave us a way to pray. And you told us to pray and ask that your kingdom come. And God, we ask that right now in this church service, in this time of worship, God, that we would be that this would be a part where we see your kingdom come and your will be done, God. Give us freedom from fear. Give us knowledge to fight fear through your kingdom. And God, let us join the fight of the for the advancement of your kingdom. You are good to us. And you have called us out of darkness into marvelous light. And you have transferred us from from the wicked dominion of Satan. And you have brought us into the marvelous kingdom of God. And so may we invite others to this kingdom. And may we see the kingdom come and attack the gates of hell with sacrificial love and the gospel. We love you and give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.